I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Can you hear me on the phone? I do. I've got you coming out of every orifice. <laughs> I'm really not. You're breaking off quite badly. Hello, and welcome to The Lock-In, where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Where were we? I forgot. I have too. Our guest today used to be known as a bit of a lad. Tony Parsons was a hip young gunslinger on the NME, the New Musical Express as was. He wrote about punk, he had a column in the Daily Mirror for years. He's written loads of novels, the latest of which is Your Neighbour's Wife, about a woman who has a quickie on a business trip to Tokyo. How's your lockdown been, Tony? Well, it's been, um, it's been difficult. It's been tough, but um, we're trying to count our blessings, trying to look on the bright side. I mean, our, our daughter started university. She was an A-level student last year, and so she went through all that, and we went through, you know, the, the trauma of seeing students being told that they had failed exams, that they um, hadn't been allowed to sit. So, but we, you know, it turned out all right for her. She got into the, the university she wanted to go to. She got one term in, and I'm hoping that she's just gonna miss, um, miss this term. Um, hopefully, hopefully the lights will come on. Where is she at university? She's at Downing in Cambridge. Oh, jolly good. I'm a bit of a Cambridge fan. Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful, Wonderful place, but hopefully she can return soon. Yeah, but um, everything's been kind of... Um, everything's been determined by the fact that we had to get out of our house. You know, that, that, that you know, life keeps happening. You think it will stop and stuff like this wouldn't happen in the middle of a pandemic, but it still does, yeah. But, um, this is a burst water main, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, under the under the ground floor. Yeah, so just um, having to get out of that. But you know, we've um, we've been among the lucky ones, I think. Have you been able to carry on writing? Yeah, I'm writing. I'm just I'm just thinking the only the only thing that really works with anything with the writing with exercise is just having a really rigid discipline. Nothing else. Nothing else works. So I've been I've been been um, hammering away at it, same as usual, and. Um, 
finding finding the gym's clothes to be quite tough, finding that, missing that, um, feeling my fitness slip away, and uh, and all the kind of calm and peace and mental health that comes with with physical fitness, feeling that ever way and struggling to struggling to do it without um, someone shouting at me in the gym. Most people be glad not to have to go to the gym. Yeah, for the first two or three weeks, I think. Yeah, but but not not when it stretches into months. Yeah, you're an addict. Yeah. This book of yours, I confess, I've not finished it. I've got. I, I've. I, I'm still. What's the twist in it? Well, I'm not going to give the big twist away because that would kill it for anybody that's still uh, got the pleasure ahead or anyone who's still planning to buy the paperwork paperback. Um, the twist, I mean, the, the, the inciting incident, as they say in creative writing classes, is that I guess we're all capable of making a mistake that throws our life out of whack. That's, that's the, the twist that it begins with. Um, and there are twists and turns on the way, um, but that's really the, where it begins, the, 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 the point where any life, any ordinary life can, can um, become an extraordinary life because of one thing that you do, far away from home or even close to home. But you think you can get away with it? Yeah, I think people always think they can get away with it, yeah. And, and in the end, there's a price to pay, yeah. Have you come to conclusions about whether you can get away with things in life? Um, I think that in a, in a real sense, you never really get away with it. Once you know that line has been crossed, once there are, I think there are lines that, that you can cross that you can, never, um, you can never make whole again and there are promises you can break that you can never make good again. And I think that that's, but at the same time, I'm, you know, I think anybody, anybody is capable of making those mistakes. I don't think it makes you um, a particularly unusual or bad person to make those mistakes. And I think that um, just a confluence of different pressures and different, different things happening at a certain time, getting you, you know, timing, I think, is everything in life. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, the woman in the book, she's in Japan, she's in her first earthquake, if you go to Japan, if you stay there for a couple of weeks, you will be in an earthquake. Being drunk, the, she's got a fear of public speaking. She's got that ab- abject terror of standing in front of uh, other people and being found wanting. And in the end, it doesn't turn out as bad as she thinks it's going to because it very rarely does. Um, she's a little bit drunk, she's jet lagged, and it all comes together to one, one moment of, um, one moment of strain from the path of righteousness and her marital vows. And it all kicks off from there. And um, the man that she spends the night with is um, very much based on that character of Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction, someone that doesn't want to end it, someone that doesn't want to um, accept that it's over. And I think that the flaw in Fatal Attraction is that char- the bunny boilers are usually men. I mean, we know, we all know anyone, any uh, women can be um, stalkers too, women can be obsessive too, but that degree of spite and that degree of viciousness and that degree of being unable to let go, it's mostly men that are like that. And um, so really, so that's, that's where it begins and that's the, that's the twist that it starts with and I wouldn't dream of revealing the twist where it ends. 
I suppose one good thing about this lockdown pandemic has been that it has convinced us all that there's a lot of things you can't get away with. That everybody's vulnerable. Yeah, and I and I think we're, that we're learning what every generation in history before before us. I think those of us that were born since 1945 have been um, raised in levels of peace and prosperity that were completely unknown to previous previous generations. And I think that we've learned. I think we thought we were some somehow post history, and we were somehow untouchable and things that we took as a basic human right that were actual, actually incredible luxuries, like being able to get on a plane and go to any corner of the world and being able to sleep who, with who we wanted to and meet who we wanted to. I think that being able to live out, live out our lives like they were our own movies, I think that, you know, we realise how fragile it all is. We realise how fleeting it all is. We realise how lucky we were. Um, and that, that period, that little period, is now seeming seeming like a section in time. It's like when I was a young man, the world was post-pill and pre-AIDS. So there was this period of, of sexual liberty that was really unknown before the contraceptive pill and really unknown after AIDS. And it seemed at the time, it seemed perfectly normal and it seemed like it would last forever and it felt like it would go on for all eternity. And I think a lot of the freedoms that we've enjoyed since 1945 and the, the freedoms that we've grown up in, I think suddenly you realise um, how easy it is to take it all away from you. You know, that our, I mean, our civil liberties have been rolled up and stuffed in the attic in the name of the greater good. And for the most part, we've, we've completely gone along with it. Do you feel guilty about it at all? That we had it so easy? I, I, I don't... I don't feel guilty, but I do, um, I do hope that my daughter and her generation, she's 18 and she's just, I hope that the lights come on for them. You know, I hope that they can travel and she was planning to go, you know, to Italy after her A-levels and worked hard and, you know, deserved, deserved that trip and that was, that was off. And now, you know, she's not, she's not returning to Cambridge this term and she's got friends in Scotland who have been told you know, you're not coming back until October. And and I do feel, um, I don't feel guilty, but I, I feel that they're, the young people are having a, having a rough time, having a tough time. But, you know, when you think of what our parents went through by the time they got to our age, they, they had really lived life. We haven't. Yeah, no. I mean, my, my wife's Japanese, and um, I, I'm always... Uh, amazed when I think of my her parents my in-laws you know they they were children in a country that had nuclear weapons dropped on it I mean that's gonna that's really uh that's much rougher than not being able to go or to Rome for a couple of weeks but do you think that that, that um we should what should we have done about it I think it was difficult you know I think that the you know the mistakes that were made that we weren't locked down quick enough and uh, even now we're still talking about um talking about face masks you know do they work and do they protect people we're still having that debate people still refusing to work them i just think that we you know because we didn't have the experience of sars we didn't have the experience that they had um in asia 20 years ago i think so it was just unimaginable to us i mean when one of these scientists said if we have twenty thousand dead it will be a good result and people's jaws dropped, you know, 20,000. You know, that seemed like an impossible number. 
I'm, I'm not sure that we could have, um, although mistakes were made, I'm not sure that anything else could have been done uh, completely differently. Yeah, to listen to some people talk, they, they talk about it as if Boris Johnson is personally responsible for this. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when Liverpool played Atletico Madrid, when they were locking down in Spain, or when the Cheltenham races were open and a quarter of a million people went to, went to watch the races, there was no shortage of people that wanted to still be out and about. There wasn't a great rush to lock down. That the, you know, if there was complacency, then I think um, it was shared by all of us. And there was, you know, I mean, I've been going to, to Asia for most of my life and it's, it's strange for me when I see my friends who live in Hong Kong from Aberdeen or Liverpool or Newcastle and they always, always, always use hand sanitizer before they press a button on a lift in a car park. And they all, you know, they, and they, if they've got a, the slightest cold, they wear a face mask. And it's just a completely different, you know, it's been a very steep learning curve for us here. And, um, I, and I think, you know, when, when the great reckoning is done, there will certainly be mistakes that will have proved to have been made. I mean, I think now, even now we're talking about quarantine hotels. You know, if you go to, Hong Kong, you can't go to Hong Kong anymore, but if you went to Hong Kong a few weeks ago, they would have put you in quarantine for a few weeks. No, you know, no arguments, none of this, you know, here's your bag, sir, and waving you off to the taxi rank or the Heathrow Express. You know, we're still, I think we're still, even now we're struggling to get it. We're struggling to get it. And I, but I think, that, um, you know, there's optimism and there's hope. And I think the, the vaccine rollout has been an incredible success. And my uncle Rich, who's 90, has had both his jabs and, um, you know, he's ready to rock and roll. And I think that, um, you know, we're, we're surprisingly resilient, you know, we're surprisingly resilient. And we're, we're, we've tapped into a little of that old spirit of, you know, stoicism and resilience and, you know, that, Tomorrow will be a good day optimism of, of, of Tom Moore. You know, I think that we realise we all need a little of that in our lives. What did you feel when you heard that Captain Tom had died? It was, um, it was sad, although, you know, I have to say that that generation, they've mostly, mostly left us now. There's not many of them that are still around. You know, my parents died in the last century. My mum died in 99, my dad died in 87. Um... But I did feel, um, I did feel a sadness when I heard that he died. He was such a wonderful old man, and he was such a an, an inspirational figure to, to, to to achieve all that, to do all that, to lift a nation's spirits like that, and to do it with such grace and humility and charm and humour. To do that in 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 the the last ten months of your life, it's an unbe unbelievable, um, unbelievable achievement. I've got his book up here with me. I've got two books in this little space, and one of them's mine and one of them's his. So he's, um, you know, it's the last paragraph of his book, he talks about even the day that I die will be a good day because maybe the next day, if there's an afterlife, I'll meet all the people that I love. So, you know, it's just in that kind of, in the face of that um, kind of optimism, you know, it's difficult not to feel sad at his passing. But basically you're a happy man, aren't you? Yeah, I'm pretty happy, yeah, I'm pretty happy. And I, and I feel that, um, and to quote the old Paul Simon song, I was born at the right time. You know, I think I was born at the right time to to enjoy um, a lot of those privileges that came came into force in the second half of the twentieth century. 
So yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm, I've got no com- personal complaints here. Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Can we talk a little bit about writing? Because there's a bit in the book where you mention about the death of what was effectively your apprenticeship in this business. Is it possible for someone to get started easily enough now? Um, well, the, the career that I had would be impossible. The career that I had, which is, um, you know, writing a novel in a gin factory, getting that published, getting a job, getting a staff job on a music paper, a weekly music paper, selling a quarter of a million copies every week. That, that career path is gone. That, that ladder has vanished. So um, you'd have to do it a different way. I mean, I... When I, um, when young people, young writers talk to me about being a journalist, I must admit my spirits sink because it's not the time to launch that particular career. There are other ways to do it. And, you know, we've got the most vibrant newspaper industry on the planet in this country. We've got an incredible array of titles and, but it's definitely declining fast. You know, the little local news agent that um, has, has been in my neighbourhood for a hundred years or so closed in the pandemic. And that, um, you know, we're definitely, a lot of the changes that were happening have accelerated. So um, it's still possible, but it's, it's, it's a lot harder than it was. You used to be able to, to just kind of wander into journalism, almost, almost by, you know, it's, it was a bit like, you know, getting a paper round, you know, that... Kids, I mean, literally kids in school uniform would walk into the NME and say, can I review an album? And somebody would give them an album to review and say, you know, give us 250 words by Monday and we'll see, we'll see if we like you or not. Um, and you can't do that anymore. You've got to, you know, you've got to... Well, you just can't get paid for it. Can't get paid. No, I mean, you've got to, you've got to have a degree to... Um, you've got to have a degree to be an intern at The Guardian. I haven't, I haven't even got A-levels, so that would be out for me. Um... Yeah, but it's, um, when I was starting out, my father said to me, you know, I don't really understand about this, you know, what you want to do or the path you're on, but um, 
the advice that I'd give you would be keep earning. Keep earning. If you want to do what you love and you want your dreams to come true, keep earning. And it was, uh, it was very good advice, you know, and it's, it's why, you know, I've tried to follow a path similar to Keith Waterhouse and diversify. You know, Keith Waterhouse was incredibly encouraging to me. He was the only person who was really encouraging to me. He was at the Mirror too, wasn't he? He was at the Mirror, yeah. He was at the Mirror and the Mal. And, um, and when I was 16, I, I wrote to 100 people and I said, um, what do I do? You know, I'm, I've left school. I want to write. Where do, you, know, you know, I want to write books. I want to write journalism. Where do I go? Where do, where do I start? Um, and he was the only person who wrote back to me. Uh, Keith Waterhouse wrote, wrote back to me and said, Dear Tony, get an agent. Love, Keith. And it was fantastic <laughs> advice, you know, it was just fantastic advice, you know. And, and I followed his advice and, you know, it took me years to find an agent, but finding an agent, got my book published, getting the book published, got me the job in the NME and it got me through the door. So he was, um, you know, he was an incredibly kind man to give me the benefit of his wisdom. And he had a great career because he wrote brilliant novels, you know, he wrote newspaper columns for decades, you know, he wrote plays, films, and... Um, and it's good, to, you can never really trust one employer, I don't think. You know, you can never really, I've been freelance since 1979, and you can never really trust one employer to, to not give you the boot. The thing about Keith Waterhouse, the other thing about him, of course, was that he could turn his hand to anything. He could write about anything. Yeah, no, he was a real pro. He was a real pro and a very, a very generous, generous man. And um, I'm, you know, I think, you know, if you're going to have a career, to, to have him as your role model is, is even now is not a bad thing because he did, you know, he was, he wrote a novel, then he was an old Fleet Street hand, and then he was, you know, he's writing award-winning plays in his old age. Um, so you know, but you have to, you have to be multifaceted you have to be you have to put your hand it's all really the same in the end it comes down to the same thing it's all writing it's all communicating um but yeah that's that's the way to do it but my career going back to your original question my career doesn't exist anymore the career path that i've had um you know and um but that but i think that newspapers will endure in this country i think that the print industry will endure it's not finished but it's it's like physical books it'll have to share its space with other stuff what about books i mean do you think they're going to go on yeah i think i mean every week they give you the sales figures of um your p books and your ebooks your physical books and your ebooks and i still prefer a physical book and I mean, I'm an old guy, but my daughter still prefers a physical book to, to read on the screen. I think that um, this has been a bit of a boom time for, um, for, for the publishing industry. This hasn't been a bad time for the publishing industry. It's been a tough time for younger authors or first-time authors and debut novelists because there's not. The great infrastructure doesn't exist. You can't go to the Hay Festival and you can't go to your local Waterstones and you can't do an event there. Um, but for people that are a bit more established, this hasn't really been, you know, it's been, there's been less distractions, less foreign book tours, you know. Um, so it's, it's and, and there's still, a, there's a hunger for it and there's a need for it. Yeah, no, the books, books will last, yeah. We ought to be living in a golden time of books, really, shouldn't we? Everyone's at home living in their own mind. Yeah, well, maybe we are, maybe we are. Maybe there's a generation out there that are, 
doing what I did when I was, um, you know, an only child living above a shop. Maybe they're discovering the power of stories. That's quite possible that some of them are. Although, you know, there'll be others that are just, um, you know, lost in their screens. But I think, you know, that's a danger to all of us. You're beginning to sound like an old fart. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't deny that. Happens to all of us. Are you um are you basically optimistic though? Um, I am optimistic. Yeah, I think that um, my daughter's generation. I think this is a horrible thing. That it's a horrible time to be a teenager, to be separated from their friends, to be to have their education. I think, especially for for working class children, I think this is an incredibly tough time. But I think um, there'll be a resilience. There'll be a bit a bit of still in their soul because of they've been through this just as the things that we admire about that generation that went through world war Two, you know it was born of adversity it was born of loss it was born of sacrifice it was it was born of tough times that's exactly why um you know tom moore was the man he was or my father was the man he was uh, you know the queen is the person that she is it's because they experienced they had that experience of um unprecedented hard times that they, they came out of it with a, with a resilience and a and a, just a certain a certain ability to keep things in perspective I think do you feel able to fill their shoes uh, no I don't think personally I never thought I could fill my father's shoes I never I never thought I'd, I'd uh, come anywhere close to filling his shoes but I, I I understand I think I think I understand him a bit better now. I understand, I could, when I was growing up, I could never understand the joy he took from his garden, you know, this little patch of, of grass in, uh, in Billericay, in, in, our, in our house. And um, I never really understood the undiluted joy that he had for it and how he could find such solace and peace into it. But I think we're all gonna, I think we're all gonna have to learn to um, enjoy every sandwich. I think we're all going to learn to take pleasures and our joys where we can. I was uh, talking to a guy who was digging his garden the other day and I said, what are you smiling about? And he said, I expected him to say something like, well, the crocuses are coming up and they always give me hope. Something like that. And uh, he didn't. He said, my wife's a divorce lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Business is booming, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you feel that you're more of a writer or a businessman these days? Oh, I feel completely um, that I'm a, a writer. I think that if I was a businessman, I would have um, rewritten Man and Boy for the last 20 years, which would have been much better for business. Um, that, would have been, that would have been the smart business thing to do. I mean, I'm, I'm, aware of, um, I'm aware of business and I'm not, I don't look down on it and I'm aware of the realities of the industries that I work in. I understand, you know, the pressures that newspapers are under. When I'm negotiating a new contract, I understand where the newspapers are and I understand, um, you know, the pressures on the publishing industry and how, you know, in, in many ways, it, it's the ultimate bottom line business, publishing. Publishing books is the ultimate bottom line business because every week they say, you've sold this number of books and we gave you this amount of money. And it's very, very clear. You know, it's very easy to work out 
um, how much you're, you're making for them or how much you're, you're costing them, how much you're losing them. Whereas, you know, when I write my columns for um, GQ or The Sun on Sunday, they can't really say, you know, they can look at algorithms and they can look at web traffic and all that and newspapers sold, but they can't really say, Tony's worth this and Jeremy Clarkson's worth that and Rod Little is worth this. They can't really quantify it the way they can in Penguin Random House. Um, so you have to be aware of, you know, to survive, you've got to be, to have a 50 year career, you have to be um, aware of um, economic reality. But I, I do think of myself as a writer first, because um, as I say, I haven't always made the sound commercial move. Although I'm quite a very commercial writer, a very populist writer, but I haven't always done the most commercial thing. We all want to go on too long though, don't we? Yeah, I don't see what, why, I don't see why we should vacate the territory. I think that, you know, I think, I don't think... It... Or make room for young people. <laughs> we'll, make, we'll make room for them soon enough. You know, it's a, it's a brief life, you know, even the longest life is just a tiny little blip in time. So I think that um, the idea that you should, you know, walk away from the crease, you know, just because it's tea time is, uh, no, I mean, I think that would be a waste. You know, um, no, nobody got out of our way. Who, got, who retired Who retired to make space for us, you know, when you were coming up? You've got to force your way in, I agree. And young people will force us out of the way too. Yeah, well, then, then good luck to them. You know, then that'll be their time. And in, in, and in their turn, in their turn, they will be forced. But um, I think uh, it's, such, it's over so quickly. You know, life is over so quickly. It rushes, it rushes past. And um, I think we're entitled to make our careers last as long as we can. You know? My producer's been moaning that I persist in talking to people about death. And you've brought it up. Yeah, I, well, I think it's, um, it's, I think it's a, uh, an understandable and inevitable topic, you know, to, to, consi to consider death. I think it's, it's the last great subject. Yeah. Are you afraid of it? Um, I guess I'm, I guess I'm afraid of, um, you know, the, the distress and the pain. I'm, I'm afraid of going out badly. You know, I'd kind of quite like to slip away, slip away gently in my sleep, you know, when, my, when I'm a hundred, when I'm a hundred and, and a venerated national figure like Tom Moore, you know, I'd kind of quite like to be, you know, to be, um, to go like that, but. Very few of us will. Um, I don't think I'm afraid of it. No, I think I'm. Um, I'm probably a little sad that I, I can't muster any belief that there's anything after. I think I. I think that that kind of the faith that I was raised in when I was singing a couple of Victorian hymns every morning at school and you know getting our getting our Bible readings every day. I can't. I can't fake that faith anymore. That slipped away. I do feel that this is it. And uh, so we should make the most of it. I quite, it gives you a comfort though, doesn't it? That, that, I mean, I think as much as anything else, that, that hymn singing was familiarity. Yeah. And I, st I found myself this morning singing about, singing a hymn in the it's shower. It's very comforting, it's very comforting. And I, I find, you know, I mean, I'm very rarely in churches, but um, if I am in a church for a school carol service, say, I find it very familiar and I find it very nostalgic. And it, 
it brings me back to my uh, to my childhood and to my roots and to my culture, and I feel like it's very much part of part of the culture that I was brought up in. Um, and there is, you know, it's designed to inspire awe and bring comfort, and it does. It works. It works. But when you've lost that faith, it's difficult to um, it's difficult to fake it. And you see the you know, the Church of England flailing around trying to be politically relevant when that's actually not what they're for. They're for something bigger than that. But when that faith is gone, uh, it's hard. I agree. But would you like a religious funeral? Um, no, I'd really like to just be gone. I'd like, um, I'd really like the kind of funeral that David Bowie had, which was um, a direct cremation, which is what they give to homeless people, you know, where they just... Um, take you straight from your deathbed to the hospital and cremate you and then give your ashes to um, your next of kin. And I'd like that. I'd really like to be gone. You know, I'd like to be dust on Hampstead Heath, blowing across Hampstead Heath. And uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd, I've got very clear ideas about what I want for my funeral, but I, I, I want the opposite of a, of a fuss. I think that's, that was very smart and very admirable the way um, the way that David Bowie went out. I mean, and he used his death. He used it for his art. He used it for, you know, for his final work. He, you know, quite profound stuff um, where, he, where he knew it was, it was the end. And then to have that direct cremation, you know, where, whereas most rock stars have had huge, great Elvis-style funerals. I thought that was very admirable. Yeah, who cares? I mean, you're not going to be around to watch it. No, no, that's true, yeah, it's true. But if given a preference, it's just nice to think. I just like the idea of being dust in the wind. I find that quite comforting. I find that, that quite a comforting thought. Like a Viking. Or David Bowie, yeah. Tony, thanks a lot. My pleasure. I'd rather do it with a I'd rather do it over a pint, you know. Well, there you are, Tony Parsons, in his own mind at least. Very much still a hip young gunslinger. Next week we've got Elliot Higgins, the Leicester-based college dropout who's beaten the world's spy agencies and journalists to some of the scoops of the decade with his citizen intelligence agency, Bellingcat. Truly fascinating bloke. Do turn up for that. In the meantime, stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.